Hey, Sam. Hey, Julia. Who are we talking to today? Today, we are talking to Shoshana Greenberg, who is an awesome musical theater writer who I met in grad school at NYU. And now we have the same day job. That's awesome. Oh, and speaking of jobs, you and I are both out in San Diego right now doing a job together. Yeah, fantasy job. Yeah, fantasy job putting up a world premiere musical show that you wrote and that I'm in. That you star in, yeah. It's um, amazing. <laughs> but because of that, uh, we're going to have to take a little break in the uh, episode release schedule. So we hope you enjoy this one. We're going to be away for July 2nd, but we will be back on July 16th. See you guys then. is that you write you write theater but you also write a lot about theater so it had me thinking about if you sort of like flip a switch and sort of go into mo- different modes to do those things or if it all feels connected to yeah I mean it's definitely all connected in the like the larger sense in terms of like writing it it is <clears throat> excuse me it is different because like lyric writing is so different it's so like specialized and you're writing in a specific way whereas you know prose is you know as people can imagine more people write prose and lyrics is its own (laughs) thing but um so definitely writing wise um it's very different and I like that because I can you know go from one to the other and I'm not always writing lyrics and I'm not always writing you know prose like and also you know the journalism stuff you're writing about theater whereas with lyrics I'm writing a story or I'm writing a moment a song moment that goes within a larger story with characters and drama and all that so it's definitely very different um do you how do you like I'm, I'm really interested in I I know that me personally I don't really like to read. I I don't know. Do you write many reviews? I don't Mostly write. Rev- I kind articles. of made the choice um, a while back that I wasn't going to do reviews yeah. or you know be a critic because I just felt like the whereas there are critics who also write musical theater or write theater that um, the line for me was just too blurry. There was for totally. me just like too much a conflict of interest um, because um, I'm so much involved with a lot of writers and that community. Whereas I think a lot of the critics who also write were critics first and Mm. um, kind of came to writing later. It doesn't, you know, you could, there are people who could do it. I'm sure I just kind of decided to make that choice. I did, I did a little review writing when I was first starting out um, with, you know, building my journalism career and I, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it, but I just, at one point I did review a show of someone's that I knew, and he actually thought it was like a good review, but I, it just still felt like, um, I don't know, like I, that it was just a weird, uh, like I'm giving you notes in a review form right. yeah. that I'm then posting on the internet. <laughs> like <laughs> I feel a sort of a terror actually even talking about theater where I know people are involved. Yeah. Because you want to try to say something interesting and original, but also you really want to be entirely supportive and positive if it's someone you know and love. Right, right. And I just felt like I would be inclined to be like, you know, have to put in something positive, even if I wouldn't have 
otherwise mm. kind of thing or I, even if I it wouldn't I wouldn't be lying I wouldn't be making it up but I would be more inclined to say like yes I need to put something positive in, <laughs> into this review because I know the person and it should be more balanced because that's how I give critique it would be more balanced but this is not me giving like a review it shouldn't be me giving somebody like uh like my critique of their piece like it's just a, like a slightly different yeah, thing Yeah, because as a writer you're I'm sure with other writer friends you're often like giving notes you know privately right but right. like if you're doing that publicly what what is that <laughs> right you know? yeah. right it's it just the line was too blurry I also just have um so much respect for the critical form or the review and the you know what critics do that I just felt like either I had to devote myself to that or um or not like sure. <laughs> do you feel like the line is blurry with um the articles that you know the, the rest of journalism? it is a little bit um just because I I do gravitate toward wanting to write about uh and kind of feature you know artists and writers that I know and I mean I've the articles that I've done for American Theatre Magazine um two out of the three uh, were about um NYU teachers that I had um so there I mean there is a kind of a conflict of interest there I guess but it's but in a way it seems like that's sort of part of what you bring to the table right like exactly lens. so um and it's I haven't had them in 10 years like they were my teachers 10 years ago it's not like I I'm in their class now or I just had them recently but um but yeah it's also something like I feel that I should be writing this piece specifically because I am very, I know their work very well. I, I'm, you know, understand what they do, you know, maybe more deeply than other writers that might write about it. Does your, I, this is really interesting to me. Does your, um, like journalism writing, is there like a lot of overlap with your, um, career as a, as a, um, drama writer? Um, I, yes and no. I think, um, like, I wish kind of even there were more. Like, I go to the, these theaters to talk to them about these articles, and I'm there as a journalist, not as a writer. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I would love to do a show <laughs> here at this theater. Um, I am a writer, but, um, you know, that's not why I'm here. Yeah. I'm here, you know, to talk to you about this show that you're doing by this writer. Um, so, but it does, I mean, it still, you know, gets my name out there to yeah. theaters in a way. Like it's still, um, I think any visibility must be good for my, me as a, you know, a musical theater writer. So I'm sure that there is some yeah overlap in have some you, way. Have you found that it's, um, I've definitely found, because I do musicals, I also do plays, mm -hmm. and when people meet me in one context, I find that they're, like, very surprised that I do the other. Yeah. Um, incredulous, even, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and, like, this literally just happened to me last night, actually, and I, it's, it's confusing to me. I just it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. But then I, I guess I also probably w when we talked to Dustin, I felt the same way. I didn't know that he was a writer. Yeah. I only knew I met him as an actor. And I just. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's so easy to just do one thing. But it's also and if that's if you just want to do one thing like that's great. But for a lot of people, 
either it's just very boring to do one thing yeah. or it's not career-wise advantageous to do one thing because right. you want to make sure you're able to do like eventually you will get more work doing like I get paid a lot more for my journalism writing than I do for my musical theater sure. writing um but uh so but it is hard because like you want people to see you as just a person who does you know all these things I also um sing a little bit but I'm like uh, before I was like, oh, I'm, but I'm not a performer. But now I'm like, maybe I should, you know, work on, you know, writing a show that I could be in, you know, mm. kind of so thing. So that segues into another question I wanted to ask you, which mm -hmm. is I know that last fall you did a concert, which was largely you performing your own work. And it was, mm -hmm. I think, one of the first times that you were sort of like pushed yourself to like, I will perform this stuff publicly. Yeah. So I wanted to hear about sort of what made you decide that that was an important thing to do. Yeah, well, that kind of came from, so I... Um, was a music major in college and a very long time ago thought I would be a singer, um, kind of more classical. Um, but then you sing in choirs and stuff. Yeah, yeah I sing um, in volunteer <clears throat> in a volunteer chorus and um, always sang in the choruses like in high school, college. Um, and I love singing in a chorus, so I always try and just have that in my life in any in when I can and in any capacity but um yeah so I had continued with my voice lessons even though I wasn't really performing and um my voice teacher said kept saying you know you should you should do some sort of you know recital or concert or something so like get yourself out there so people hear you sing and I kept being like who's gonna who's going to pay <laughs> to hear me sing? Like that, I always wonder what's the bigger imposition of people, their, the hour and a half of their time or the, like, $20. Right, right. <laughs> so, Both are terrible. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, how, how could I make this something that, if I did this, how can I make it something that people would actually come to? Um, so I decided it would be my for my birthday, and it was the year that I was turning 35, so it was kind of like a big, not, I mean, a, a big year but something that s sounds like a big year and um so I decided to make it like a combination concert and birthday party so people would feel like oh I'm going to Shoshana's birthday party which is also <laughs> this concert um I've actually always wanted to do that but I felt like the stakes would be unsustainably high for me because my two favorite things ever are my birthday and doing a concert oh yeah um. and I think I would like <laughs> I couldn't do it I yeah. think I would want to have other people sing for me on my birthday <gasps> mm -hmm. I That's what that. I I wouldn't want all the pressure of performing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it oh was my God, now I want to give you a birthday concert. Oh yeah. Please I mean, that's do. a great <laughs> idea too. I mean, it definitely was a lot, but it was something that like I kind of felt like that I wanted to do and it became this like this sort of rite of passage in a, in a way because it was like I'm turning 35 in this thing that I'm really scared about doing and always said I was going to do but never did is going to actually happen because I had already like I booked the duplex cabaret theater in like April for the Oct an October <laughs> show because uh -huh. I was like this is just going to happen it's on the calendar now um did you write songs for this concert or did I you didn't I only wrote one well I did I only wrote one song for it um uh like an opening number uh -huh. and uh and I'm glad I did because it, it was good to feel like, yeah, but I also wrote something for it. But it was mainly, so it was half my own work and half stuff just as a singer that I wanted to oh, sing. Cool, so cool. it was kind of like a hybrid 
um, cabaret show and also concert of my stuff. Um, and uh, so it was just stuff from my my trunk, <laughs> you know, or whatever. And I wanted to make sure that I um, represented each composer that I had worked with, um, like one from each uh, show or um, collaborator. And uh, yeah, it ended up being a really good balance of, of things. And it wasn't, it was pretty easy to write. Um, and I had, you know, dialogue or uh, monologues uh, in between each song. And, nice. Um, I will yeah. say that nothing makes me think more about writing in a way that is kind and fun for a performer than when I think about the idea of possibly having to perform my own work. Yeah. Like, I would never think it would ever be interesting or a good idea to be like, as an exercise, why don't I make the range of this song be less than an octave? <laughs> but that's the only kind of song I could ever sing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it was, it was like an amazing experience. And I, I mean, the, the theater was all full of friends and <laughs> families, oh, so, so that was helpful. But uh, I definitely want to do it again, and I have like ideas for shows where I will have to write um, the the songs the the songs that will be for me for that because I've used up <laughs> 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 kind of the ones that are good for cabaret in the <laughs> in the last show. But um, but yeah, but that's a fun challenge too. So. Um, but yeah, I have another idea in the works. Oh, I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> so you mentioned representing each of the composers you worked with. And I will say, for me, I picture you not as someone who's, you know, totally monogamous with one collaborator, but that you have a couple who you work seriously with. Yeah, I have, well, I have two that I work pretty regularly with. One of them is Jeffrey Dennis Smith, who... Um, the best. <laughs> he and I did the composer libretto studio oh, together. Oh wow, that's yeah. so fun! Also, that program is so great. Yeah. So yeah, so he and I started working together ten years ago, a little over ten years ago. When, um, <coughs> excuse me, he uh, was in the cycle below me at NYU, and his thesis partner dropped out uh, for a second year, and they called me and asked if I would come in. They sometimes bring in uh, alum writers yeah. to write with people who don't have collaborators. So they asked if I would do it, and I said yes. And there was actually another person working on the project, too. And um, so we wrote, I wrote that thesis with him, and we just kept, decided to keep working um, on, that, <laughs> on that project, some other things. Um, but uh, so him and then my other main collaborator is Young Kim, who was cycle 13 at NYU, which means she was three years before me uh, in the program. And one of our teachers just put us together. Um, well, I didn't know you guys were match made. That's yeah, so yeah. So um, this was like almost eight years ago now. But she, I guess she was looking for another person to write with. She has other collaborators, too. Um, and our teacher from NYU, Mindy Dickstein, um, she gave Hey Young my name and we connected and yeah, started writing together. So those are my two main collaborators. And then I have some other people that I've written a song or two with and maybe we'll write more. Uh, Do you ever, you know, there's a whole lot of like songwriting teams that's just sort of like they, you know, build their careers together. Yeah. Do you ever... What's your take on that? Yeah, like I mean, I think that's great. I think in a way that's kind of easier for 
people who are kind of more branded that way, yeah. just in terms of like in the musical theater world, it's easier to think of a composer lyricist together yeah. instead of someone who's a lyricist who works with different people. Although that, you know, people uh, get work that way too. I'm on Broadway and, you know, we just don't remember their names as much. Yeah. Um, like Nell Benjamin, who works with, uh, who's on Mean Girls and works with different composers. Yeah. But, um, but we more think of, you know, the people who are someone and someone Right. Or some uh, one name who's both a composer and a lyricist. So, um, so I think it's it's easier in that way. Yeah. But, uh, but is there like, do you get like, I guess I'm curious. Like for you, like, mm -hmm. do you would would you want that to be? Would you want to just have one collaborator? Or are you enjoying you know collaborating with different people? Or are you getting different things from different? Yeah, people? Yeah, I definitely get different things from different people. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I would want to just work with one yeah. person. Um, one reason would be that, yeah, I get, you know, my collaborators are very different musical style wise, personality wise. Um, so I definitely get different things out of working with each of them. Um, also, sometimes, you know, some people go into a phase where they're working on a different project. So there's like a lull and then. Right. Um, which I guess if you're I mean, if you're exclusively working with one person, maybe that wouldn't happen. But um it creates more opportunities to work on different things. Yeah. Is it obvious which kind of subject matter goes with which collaborator? Um, I mean, sort of. Um, they're, I mean, both collaborators, I think we gravitate toward darker <laughs> and darker subjects, but um, they definitely have their own um, style of what they're interested in. So, yeah. So speaking of darker subjects, you have one show <laughs> that I'm so excited about from the synopsis. Will you tell us a little bit about a story no one knows? Yeah, so this is the one we're gearing up for a concert of next Monday. Um, it's, next it, Monday will be long past by the time we release right. this. Right. Um, so, <laughs> yes. so I'm just in the, the thick of that one right now. But... Um, it's just a, you know, a con it'll be the first time the songs are heard. Um, See the premise. So it is about, I wish I could just read it. Um, you know, you work so long on like coming out with the synopsis oh, line and yeah. it's like, let me just read it. But, um, I can never find mine. I feel like I'm constantly doing just gradient difference of the same, you know, like yeah. Anita Bryant, you know, <laughs> pageant runner up, orange juice, songwriter, Historic pie and face, gay rights activist <laughs> who is a part of it. I never, I, I never have it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is about um, the so people who live alone and die alone in cities, which is um, kind of how we phrase it. But there are people who come and kind of if the person doesn't have any obvious next of kin to contact when the body is discovered, or you know they no one has discovered them until, you know, for a while since they don't have any next of kin they're in contact with. The people, these people come in, they're called uh, dissident property agents, and they clean up, they don't clean up like from the body, but they clean up the apartment and they look at their objects and their belongings to try and figure out who they can contact um, so that the body will have a proper Burial. <laughs> Are you writing this with Jeff? 
No, this is okay, the one I'm writing with Hey Young. In the composer Libretta Studio, he wrote about a similar thing. Oh, so oh. funny. So yeah, there is overlap between <laughs> like what my collaborators <laughs> like to you know, write That's about. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, this actually, this project came to me because Hey Young had already written it. Um, she wrote it in Korean, um, uh, the book, and uh, she asked me, she wanted to, you know, make it you know, something that could be done in English and asked if I would write lyrics for it. So that's how I kind of came to a project. So it's something I kind of came on to. It didn't, the idea didn't generate with me, but uh, I really, you know, was drawn to the idea. I really liked it. And I was like, yeah, sure. I would love to work on this. And it was nice to just have a project where I was just working on lyrics and not having to worry about I mean, we, I give input on, you know, story elements and all that, but just have something where I was just, you know, focusing on lyrics for a while. And yeah, that's so funny because I think of, I think it was maybe Tony Asaro who first made this observation that like the sliver of the Shoshana Greenberg canon that we both especially love is like the loneliness one. Oh yeah. And it feels so in keeping with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I gravitate toward people who write (laughs) things that I also, yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, drawn to, but yeah, I, it's definitely when she was describing the story to me, I was like, yes, I would love to <laughs> be getting on this and write about this. And yeah, yeah. So it's about, so there's also, it sounds, you know, very dark and depressing, but there's also a comedic <laughs> element to it. Um, there's a love story um, and there's uh, ghosts uh, who um, live in the, uh, property agent's apartment, and uh, they are they are funny. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's uh, check it out. Yeah, Monday seven weeks ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so well, hopefully there'll be more you know opportunities to see the whole show. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. Well, so I'm curious um, how like as not a writer, I guess I'd never really thought about like who has the impetus for the idea on, mm-hmm. a, on a writing team. Yeah. So, like, how does that work with you, with your various collaborators? Yeah, um, well, this is the second show Hey Young and I have written. The first show kind of came from both of us together, um, and that one is Days of Rage, uh, which is our other show that we um, did some readings of, uh, I guess, a year and a half ago. But uh, so that one I was when I first w- met with Hey Young and we were talking about what we could write together. And I had just seen this documentary or re-seen it. I had seen it before on the Weather Underground. And I was just like, yeah. And then the Weather Underground could be really, <laughs> really cool to write about and was describing it. And she had always wanted to write about uh, something inspired by student protests in Korea. Uh, so we kind of came together on that idea and it kind of grew organically with the both of us and uh yeah and then um the other one other ideas have been with collaborators have been more organic like let's let's talk about what we want to write together and um let's try and you know build the idea together kind of thing cool I think it's been interesting in like Donald Trump time seeing writers that I know feel like I want to write something that's protesty. I want to write something that engages, <laughs> mm. and sort of trying to figure out what that means. You know, coming from that, from the angle of oh, I feel like I want to be involved, as opposed to a more organic 
ooh, this idea has tapped me on the shoulders and interesting, and now I will go ahead and write it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the protests, the Weather Underground um, piece, uh, we started, that idea was came to us, we started thinking about it in 2010. So it was way before any right. any of this, uh, you know, po- yeah, politics got crazy. But um, yeah, but when we were doing the the reading of it a year and a half ago, it was in November of 2016. And the we did a concert version of it at New York Theater Bar New Works series the night before the election. Oh, and then um, the reading was a few weeks after. So it was just like right in the so like the kind of the perspective on everything changed. Yeah while we were putting that together. Uh, Do you have any feelings about, we were doing Loneliest Girl in the World at NIMPT right around, right before the election. Yeah. And I know Gordon felt that like doing it at that time intensified his experience of both things. Huh. I don't know if you felt that at all. Uh, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> We've been doing it for so long. It's true. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I don't. I can't say what what I will say is that I saw Wicked a couple <gasps> weeks after um, Trump was oh, elected, yeah. and it resonated in such a yeah. different way. I saw that a couple months ago yeah. again, and it was like, like the oh, main. Yeah. Thr- I mean, like <laughs> the thing that sort of sets the plot in motion is the fact that there's this teacher who's a goat who's being silenced, oh, right. and then because he's being silenced, he starts to lose his own ability to speak. And it was like right after the election, there was like that crazy spike in hate crimes, and it was just like too real. Of course, the you oh. know the little girls in the audience were just like shrieking for alphabet, but <laughs> but me and my friend were just like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, I love I love Wicked, and I love that it has that kind of political yeah. undertone, those political undertones to it. Yeah. Um, I didn't think I was gonna love Wicked, but when I listened to the CD of it for the first time, first of all, I feel like I was like overreacting because everyone told me I would love it and I was like Mm. you don't know what I like (laughs) (laughs) and then I listened to it and I liked it but it didn't the whole magic and appeal of it didn't really hit me until I saw the production Uh, yeah which doesn't usually happen to me like I'm used to like you know getting a copy of William Finn's Elegies or something and just loving it as that CD and then you feel like you've got almost the whole thing and then seeing a live performance you know you're getting it from the live actors and that's really moving but that's so interesting because I, le- I learned a lot of shows like in high school just from cast recordings and never having seen them. And since I've been in the city, it's been interesting seeing a bunch of shows that I used to love yeah. um, and being like, oh, this wasn't what I pictured, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and just like, like ha- uh, um, I mean, nothing in particular that I want to talk sure. about. Okay. But um, I, just, I-, I just sort of had to like... Um, take myself aside and tell myself that like those shows were special to me for those reasons and not for the reasons of like what I'm seeing on stage yeah and just like I don't know I always like new stuff so like it's I always find it weird to see a production of something that I'm already super familiar with yeah Um, I had a weird this isn't quite the same thing but falsettos is one of you know my top three if not top one I just I love it so much and taking my husband to the revival of that and just feeling him experience it as an adult man who's not a musical theater person and how different that is 
than the way I experienced it as like a completely overcome 11 year old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Strange. Yeah. But do you, let me ask you about that because did you, did seeing that production bring you right back to how you felt as an 11 year old? I think the there were parts of it that did because uh-huh. I feel like it just it gets into you so deep yeah. that like a part of that has to get activated. But then there were definitely other parts of me that felt like isolated and alienated from that because of you know things that I, you can't help yeah view differently. Yeah, <laughs> and things that I think were actually different in this yeah, production. Yeah, I know than they the made a few changes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I think half and half. I never. Uh, I, I have not had that experience seeing shows that I was obsessed with in high school where it brought me right back at all. It was sort mm, of like, not even a little oh, bit. this is different than what I thought. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that definitely, there was a large part of that, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I avoided seeing any of the Les Mis revivals because oh. I was afraid that I was going to have I actually saw... So Miss Saigon was like, when I saw that as a kid, I was nine years old and it was like this amazing day that I had in the city with my mom. I knew the entire show by heart. And uh, I, you know, when I saw the show, we stood at the stage door, a swing from the cast took us backstage. Like it was this whole day. Um, And then the revival came and I saw it three times and... My mom, I made my mom um, come back up to see it with me. It happened to be 25 years to the day <gasps> wow. that we had seen it. I, I, I engineered this because I was like, <laughs> we have to, we have to do this. You know, it was happened to be a Saturday matinee, so she could come up and. Um, so I literally engineered me like <laughs> seeing something that I saw as a kid, like, and it was in the exact same theater. The production is oh, different, right. but it's not, it's not that different from what you know the original was so I basically engineered like seeing it again um in the same way like exactly 25 years later um so I definitely had but I had seen it and how did you feel well it it was the second time I was seeing the revival I saw it um a second preview as well but yeah I mean it's definitely I definitely felt like I was brought back and um, and loving it and it's the same, but it's hard because you still, especially with that show, there's so much um, like that's been said about that show, um, how in a, it, that it is in ways inappropriate now, and you know, and it you can't you can't unsee stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I still was able to like love it, and but then I also had to be like, you know, it's kind of like what I guess I've heard called pre-woke watching like before mm, <laughs> before yeah. you before you know when something is not that that something is kind of offensive to certain people you don't realize it so you're just enjoying it and then right. when you watch it again you can still enjoy it in a way but you can't turn that you can't unsee yeah. you know those that yeah. stuff that you've been that you've learned in that time so but I, I still love seeing it because Every time I see that show, I I see it in a different way. So I think, yeah, bringing that stuff into it, actually, I could read it. I could read the show differently. And I didn't hate it, but I respect people who do for that reason. <laughs> but it just made me see it differently. Yeah. And I still loved it, but appreciated that. My friend does a... Um another podcast where they go through the Disney animated catalog from um, earliest chronologically to present. And they're they're midway through at this point, but 
they talk about that a lot about like these are shows we saw as or movies we saw as kids um and we felt a certain way about them and they you know they're revisiting them yeah and realizing that like a lot of them have a lot of incredibly offensive yeah, um, yeah. material and so they'll like talk about it during the course of their hour-long episode and then at the end they'll rate the movie and they'll be like five stars because it <laughs> brought me right back to when i was a kid yeah. and i loved it and it's that's i think that's really i mean it's hard to turn off how things make you feel emotionally yeah. and i think that there's something to be said for like there's a reason things are emotionally affecting you like a piece of art can have both things in it, like be offensive and also mean something to you emotionally. I mean, it, art's so complicated that it can do all those things. So, um, so yeah, I totally get <laughs> yeah. that. I'm looking forward to seeing the Angels in America revival, which uh, I'm going to go see in June. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, because yeah. that's one where I first encountered it when I was like 12 or 13. And again, I was just like all consumingly obsessed with it. And then, you know, probably reread it and thought about it slightly differently, like in college, saw the revival however many years ago. Mm-hmm. And since, yeah, since there's less of the like only child Julia loving it and then seeing it 20 years later, but more of like a continuous line. Yeah. yeah. It's like an evolution. Yeah. 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 I, def- I, I didn't see or read Angels as a kid, but we did a grad in grad school we yeah. did like a, a project based on it so that was oh, like God. my first encounter <laughs> we all had to set with it. musicalized scenes from angels in america oh um i did I, a roy Cohn song i wow. did um a song for lewis in the moment after that scene with belize at the end of the toward the end of the first part uh-huh. where it's like he says like i you can smell the snow or something oh, and yeah. then there was like a song then we had like a song for Lewis there where he's like left alone on stage and I was happy because when I saw the, the production a few weeks ago I was like I can totally picture my song right here <laughs> oh, I, I actually for my application to NYU they everyone has to set the same and the same Vincent Millay poem and then you get to pick musicalize the scene of your choice and not knowing that that would be assignment later anyway yeah. I did the scene of Belize and Harper in Antarctica oh mm, fun I remember cool. some of the songs from when we did that assignment in grad school that was a fun assignment yeah there were some real hits some real misses yeah <laughs> As, as, as usual, always. yeah. <laughs> Wait, so were you in the same year? Yes. Uh-huh, I see. <laughs> we wrote our 20-minute musical together. Oh. Which is like the biggest thing at the end of first year. Yeah, yeah. of course. What was that about? <laughs> <laughs> it was Speaking a, of remembering how to synopsize something. Right. It was about um, a, an agent's office, and it, it had to be three characters, so we had the the agent who was, as you can imagine, a horrible, horrible man, and his assistant who, you know, was... It was, a, a, it was an L.A. agent type yeah, situation. Yes, L.A. agent, yeah, <laughs> no Hollywood. No disrespect to agents <laughs> who we know and like. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, his assistant who was, you know, constantly frazzled, constantly abused by his boss, and then his boss's daughter who was like a an actress or a yeah she was like an actress like a child star yeah child Mm. star like 12 and she kind of comes in and wreaks havoc on the assistant um one of our labs for that since the 20 minute musical usually with nyu it's sort of like a one and done you'd work on it for a week you have a lab you're on to the next thing but this you work on for like a month and a half or something that feels relatively long 
in that context. And my most like sad slash favorite comment I've ever gotten was from that lab when we brought in like one song. This was even for an idea that we didn't end up doing. And we like brought it in for a second or even a third week. And one of our teachers was like, maybe we weren't clear with you before. Never bring that song in again. <laughs> Whoa. Do you remember that? I not I I kind of do, but I don't even remember what song it was referring to or I think it anything. was it was either I think it was High Hopes. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm an agent. That's right. Oh, that okay, one. I didn't yes, realize it was called be. High Hopes. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a fun song. I know. I thought it was great. I don't know why we weren't trying to forget <laughs> it anymore. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was a really fun one to work on. Um, that project. Yeah. So you, in some of the stuff you write about, and even on like Facebook stuff. I feel like think a little bit about like women in the field mm-hmm. and women representation. Yeah. And I'm curious what, if anything, you think we as like actors and writers and like people of our levels or it's like anything we can do about that. <laughs> about about like, women in like in, act theater? Lo- in the terms of like act, act locally, think globally. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'm sure there are things. Let me <laughs> let me think for a second. Um, or even if you feel like you engage with it in any way other than yeah. making sure that you're sort of being observant and stating observance about like, hey, this is the state of the affairs. Why is it like this? Yeah. I mean, I think so there's like, t- I guess, two ways to look at it. One is that in the stories we are telling, how are we, um, how are women being portrayed, being represented um, in, as characters? And I think that's one thing. And then there's another side, which is how are women as you know, real people in the field being um, being treated, being given opportunities and uh, stuff like that. As writers, obviously, we have the most control over our stories that we tell. Um, so, yeah, just kind of looking at, like, are we always writing a show with a, you know, main male character as opposed to a main women character, uh, female character, um, <coughs> was that another thing that just came up with Dustin when we were talking to Dustin? Yeah. About flipping a protagonist yeah. to the other gender and it like opened things up. Yeah, I mean that's all. I, it's funny with with Lightning Man, my show with with Jeff. Many times we thought should we flip the gender, um, but we never, never. We we always decide no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean it doesn't necessarily have to be like setting out a story and then gender flipping it it just could be it could be just you know if you're looking to tell a story of someone like somebody who is like a you know a bio musical are you telling a you know female one or a male one you know and yeah you should be able to tell the stories that most interest you but um do you feel any pressure to like comport yourself in a certain way as a female writer (laughs) um not particularly. I mean, I think that I will naturally, I'm very interested in, you know, writing about women. So I think naturally I or hopefully would do, would do that anyway. In projects, well, like on the project where I'm the lyricist and not the book writer, I have, <coughs> sorry, less control over the book because I'm not the book writer. So, um then my job as a lyricist becomes, you know, how am I, how am I, you know, portraying this woman through lyrics? 
um, how many songs is she getting? I think that's a big thing. Like when you look at a show like Fiddler on the Roof, which is very, you know, a wonderful, important show, the women don't have that many songs, like the daughters. Mm. And it's very, like when I saw the most recent revival, it was very clear to me that that was a thing because they really took care to make that show kind of from the daughter, like build the daughters up more and like make it a little more feminist. And then if you do that, you realize that they don't like have as many songs. The middle it's true. Seidel doesn't have a big one. Yeah. Heather has a dance, but not a song. Yeah, it's really Huddle just the middle one. And the dude sings about it. Yeah, yeah. It's really only the middle daughter, uh, Huddle, Huddle far from that home, I love. has that one song. Um, but it's really, <clears throat> it's really his musical. Yeah. Um, Golda sings a little bit. Hmm? Golda sings more. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so if you think about it, like, I mean, that show works so well, like, I don't know, but, it, but and I love it, but, yeah, I feel like giving a song to a, a character is a, like, is a way to, you know, see more of them, have it be a little more balanced. Um, and, and then also, like, what are they, what are they singing about? Like, are, is it, you know... Is it their, you know, I guess this is what I'm doing today song? Or is it really like getting into like what they want, what they're like, why are they in the story kind of thing? How much are you making them a real person? Right, yeah. right. Um, and I think, yeah, I think you can sometimes see in shows where it's the protagonist is a male and there's a female character and the female character can be super quirky, interesting, like a fun character but then you look at what they're singing about and it just doesn't balance as well with the male characters and what they get to sing about in the in the show. Hmm. Can I flip that question around to you? Of like course. do you feel any pressure to comport yourself in a particular way as a woman writer? It's hard to separate out. I mean, I always do feel I'm sure everyone feels pressure not to be difficult mm. and pressure. I think I am like I am very sensitive by nature, and I feel like it's important to not let that seep in so that it's... I would like it if people who I work with professionally wouldn't have the first thing that they say about me be like, oh, Julia's, you know, she's really sensitive. Mm. I think... uh, Oh, sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say, I think it's even different for composers. Like, as a lyricist Hmm. and book writer, I can kind of especially when the rehearsals start it like I kind of take a back seat a little bit where the and the composer kind of steps in, steps up and does a lot more than I do because there's the band rehearsal there's right. working right. there's working with just just from my experience like the composer becomes very visible at that point and there's a lot I think there's probably is a lot more pressure on composers especially if they're women to be you know, more well-behaved and, mm-hmm. you know, what you're talking about. And that actually makes me think of a different point, which I do feel like I think I probably feel the need to be overcompensatory in terms of making it clear that I write the music because there is this little bit of a sense of maybe expecting that the male on the team writes the music. So even with, like, this is so silly and maybe just more has to do more with ownership, but even, like, today Gordon and I were emailing because we're about to send all the materials to Diversionary, and I was like, I really want to be, like, we could just do it all in one email, obviously, but I was like, I really want to, like, send the score. Like, that's the document that I worked on. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes I do feel like, or even, like, I feel like, this it might not be there, but sometimes I feel like there might be a sense that, like, you know, a woman composer doesn't do her own orchestrations or doesn't do her own arrangements or, you know, like, 
is maybe relying on someone else to sort of do the more serious nitty gritty stuff. So sometimes I'm a little bit, if not defensive, quick to mention uh-huh. that like that I'm a self-service shop. Yeah, no, I think that's super important to do, especially at this time when we're, you know, people still, we have a little, composers who are women have a little more visibility, but it's definitely not enough. So to to make sure that you hammer home, you know, hammer in or whatever the phrase is, um, right, right. that, you know, you're the composer and this is what you do. I think but to be fair, important. I don't think I've ever like encountered it overtly. I think it's all just, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, and I don't, and if people, probably people don't even realize that they have a bias. Yeah. So I always think those psychology things are funny where, like, you have to click boxes and which one you click uncovers your (laughs) secretly biased neural patterns. Right. Mm. And, yeah, and they probably, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people, like, don't think they have that image of, like, a composer being male. But yeah, they could. to me, yeah, I am that. The way I imagine the stereotype is that like women composers are like you know singer songwriter types, and right. like male composers are like academic musicians. Right, right. <laughs> no, I can see that image being out there. <laughs> so speaking of seeing all the shows from before, mm-hmm. you, I think I found this on your website. Saw seventy six shows last year. Probably, and there have been years in past past years where it's been in like the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like that seeing so much affects your writing? Um. Yes and no. I think um, sometimes I feel like I should see fewer shows because I should not. I should be focusing on the ones that I really want to see mm-hmm. and that I really think are going to be helpful to me as a writer like I should see this based on what I'm working on and what I'm interested you know and then have a little more balanced time to to write (laughs) actually because it's like oh should I write or should I see the show you know is always a question to me it's such different muscles though oh yeah I mean you have to say like it's all going toward the same thing but sometimes you see something and it's like why did I why did I see that again, (laughs) you know, or why did I want to see that, or why did I decide to, you know, take that ticket, because, you know, some of them are are free, so it's not like I'm making a huge, it's like, oh, like, it's a free ticket, I should see it, you know. As a question to both of you, do you feel like you can still, like, enjoy things to the max, since it also is sort of professional research? It's interesting, I think about this sometimes, because, um, I was just talking to a director who says that like she can't really enjoy Queen of Plays anymore because she's just looking at all of these details and like the things that she's thinking about as a director. And um, but as an actor, those technical things are are not at the forefront of my brain, but I am paying particular attention to the performers. Hmm. And when they're really good, then I can totally just enjoy a show. And when maybe they're miscast or they didn't have enough rehearsal time or for whatever reason something isn't working, it's like really challenging for me to appreciate a play, mm. even if I think the play itself might be very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about that a lot. I don't know if there's a solution. But it sounds like you're pretty empathetic about things like when an actor is miscast. Yeah, I mean, like, like it's, it's not about like playing blame game. It's just about like, 
this isn't working and it's really detracting from this yeah. show experience for me. <laughs> so interesting. I don't think I've ever once, I think about it sometimes because ever since you introduced me to this concept of miscasting, is it like mm. a thing that can happen? I don't think I've ever organically had that thought. Like, oh, this is an occurrence of miscasting. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, I've often seen performers that I've enjoyed before uh-huh. in another show where I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> this is this isn't working. And then I'm like, oh, it's because their particular set of tools isn't the right set of tools to do this job. Yeah. Um, and I'm worried about that for myself as a performer. I don't want to find myself in a situation where I don't have the tools to do what I'm being asked to do. Do you feel like you usually get a sense of that, though, before entering into something? Oh, yeah, totally. But sometimes as an actor at where I am, where it's hard for me to turn down projects mm-hmm. because I not so many of them are coming my way all the time. Sometimes it's really hard to be like, Sam, I'm this is not your air, guy. <laughs> this is going to air seven weeks from now, so that won't be relevant. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'll be rich and famous by then. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that some way. I might have said this before, but I feel that way sometimes even about subject matter. Like mm. a show like a show idea that you're like, that is going to be a great show that someone will write better than me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easier as a writer because we can, I feel like, write about a little more things than actors have. I guess are like as a singer, I've, you know, I've been told like, oh, you can't sing that song because it's for someone older mm. or you can't sing that song. I mean, obviously, like I, you know, I wouldn't sing certain things that are, you know, race related or, you know, things like that. But just in terms of like things about age and type and all that stuff, um, like, you know, they're like you can't sing that song. But if I were a writer, I'd be like, well, I can write that character because like I can write an older person and I, it, so that's yeah. why kind of kind of why writing more appealed to me than performing because mm. I just felt like I there was just more open to me as like a writer to be able to go into different characters than a singer that's interesting too though because I feel like I agree I mean I don't write words period so mm. in a way it's all sort of a stretch of the imagination to what it feels like to be able to write people other than yourself yeah but like while something like you know like like I take it as a given that, of course, you know, we can write people of other genders, we can write people of other ages, we can write people from other walks of life. But I do know that when you get to certain, especially, say, historical things, Mm -hmm. like Gordon will sometimes say, you know, like, I don't know if this is my story to tell, you know, like, I don't know if I'm an appropriate vehicle for this. Yeah. So it's hard to think, like, where that line is. Yeah, I mean, that's a big conversation. I feel like with with certain things where it's like, am I the person to tell this story? It's like, definitely you have to do a lot of soul searching and like, am I like, is there, is there a way I can tell this? Do I need to bring on, do I need to work with somebody else on this as well? Like, am I just so, do I deeply love this so much and I'm so excited about it that I must find a way, you know, I I feel like that is something that's project to project and requires like that kind of internal like dialogue (laughs) with yourself (laughs) was like you know the soul searching and all that because I think I feel like there are times when yes like there are stories that feel beyond you that you should tell but you have to do that interrogation first or you can't just jump into it and be like sure why not and then I guess there's the second question of like do I feel like I have a legitimate connection to this that I feel right doing it? And then can I convince other people that I have like, mm. yeah, a right to tell this? Yeah, yeah. 
Wow, that's. <laughs> I'm glad actors don't have to worry about that so much. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's a lot. That's I'm I, I'm really curious about what you just said. It, not well. I have a segue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really smooth one. Can't um, but because uh, uh, I because from from your website you write musicals, you write plays, you write operas. Uh, yeah. And I'm curious, like the way you talk about like being able to tell certain stories, like I'm also curious, like are there certain stories that uh, that want to be musicals that want to be plays that want to be operas like do you how do you conceptualize that yeah i mean the opera i've haven't written that many operas the operas i've written have been within the confines of i've been in like a program and it's been like we're gonna write an opera um so i'd like to do but it it will be a question should i be writing more operas um but even between musicals and plays yeah um yeah, it's I mean it's a question I think the way I look at it as like do I how do I visualize this? Uh, do I visualize this as um something on stage that has song moments or do I visualize it as something on stage that doesn't, I guess? Or is there a reason for people to be singing? I guess is another question uh-huh. that um we were kind of trained to ask ourselves in in graduate school, but um yeah, just when I think about ideas that I want to write, it's just like, does this, it's, I feel like it's a little more intuitive. Like, does this, does this feel like a musical to me? Do I, can I, can I envision song moments? Can I envision what the lyrics would look like? Um, like, do I envision the characters singing on stage? Or is this something that, um, like, it has more of like a, is going to be using other elements like uh, that the characters aren't going to you know aren't going to sing here they're yeah. just going to they're going to speak or they're going to um, you know do something else that happens on stage in a play like interact with technology or you know or something along those lines but um, I that's always really struggle with that question of yeah. like do they have a reason to yeah sing? I mean that's kind of yeah I guess the question we were like taught to ask but. Yeah, I mean... I always felt like if you're writing... Anyone can be made to have a reason to sing if you're writing Mm -hmm. a musical. Right, and I guess the idea is, like, can as long as you have that... As long as you know the reason that they're singing, then it's... Then it's... Um, then it will be okay, or then then it's a musical, or it'll work, or, (laughs) you know, whatever it is. But, but yeah, I guess just to make sure you ask yourself that. I guess, or ask yourself, like, can you, you know, will singing, will songs, like, how will songs add something to this story, mm-hmm. I guess? Because songs do do a lot of things, or, you know, when you put them in a show. And, and I guess another question is, when you are writing the songs, are you writing them to do, to enhance the story in, the way, in that way? Um, cause sometimes I see musicals and I feel like the songs aren't doing all the work they could be doing to really make the musical be what it could be. Um, so I guess thinking, if you're thinking along those lines, then, then it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing I was thinking that I wanted to talk about, so you and I have very similar day jobs mm-hmm. and I know that I 
think a lot about whether I think whether I think about the writing that I do as sort of like I do think of it as a career, but like whether like that categorization of career versus hobby. Yeah, well, it's interesting because a a while ago, I forget how the I was talking with some friends, and I forget how this conversation started, or what what prompted it. But I, I guess I was talking about some writing I had to do, or or something, and. My friend, someone said something that would made light of it or said, like, oh, when I write, blah, blah, blah. And it was just a totally different thing because they were talking about it as, like, when I get a writing, you know, project that I do, like, uh, like freelance, then I do it and, like, that's it or whatever it was. And, I, and that really hit home the, that I was like, oh, no, I'm actually trying to build a career, which is very different from how so many people who say that – you know, and people saying you're a writer means so many different things, and it's not like to diminish, you know, what other people do as writers. But building a career as a writer is a very different thing than, um, you know, writing for your blog or writing for, you know, somebody you write at your job or, you know, it's. It's different, yeah, from writing for the love of writing. It is. Right, right. And that made me realize, like, oh, no, like, I am trying to I am trying to build a career. It does take a lot of work and time. And um, yeah, so I realized then that that's how I (laughs) how I think about it. Yeah. I forget the last part of your the other part of your question. Oh, I think that was most of it. I don't think I even stumbled my way into a full question. (laughs) That makes sense to me. Yeah, I feel that, too. I feel sort of protective of designating it as. Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to in a way, especially if you have another job that is also a career type job where Mm -hmm. like I like I think you have to tell yourself that the writing is a career um, just so you remember (laughs) that it is. And like you said, I do feel like it affects decision making Mm -hmm. around writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not in like a commercial selling out way, but just. Yeah. There are certain, you know, even like networking schmoozy things mm-hmm. or deciding which of two plays to see even. I feel like if you're trying to cultivate this sort of like growth and progress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you are, it's like things. you do think about, I mean, you want to kind of just, there's no way to know what's going to happen. And you want to do just, you want to just keep going and do what you can do. But you do have to kind of think in a way that's a little more long term in like, you know, well, with the journalism stuff, like, how am I building, I'm writing for these publications now, how, like, what's bigger than that, and how can I, like, I'm, like, thinking, like, oh, one day I would love to, you know, write for those publications, I would love to have my show done in this type of theater, Um, right now my shows are being done in this level, like, I would love to get to that next level kind of thing. It's interesting, I guess, actually, there, there's much less actor hobbyists than writer hobbyists, do you think? Well, you can't act by yourself, really. You <laughs> right. know, you True. can write by yourself. Emily Dickinson, you know, <laughs> wrote and put her poems in a drawer, and then you know, like yeah. Well, no especially today with the internet, you can write. And oh yeah. Put your stuff online, and and there's some wonderful writing that's done that way, but it's diff- It's not career writing, right. I guess. But you can't. You can't really act by yourself. I mean, I guess you can make like videos and put them up on YouTube, and that's could be kind of comparable. 
mm-hmm. to what you're talking about. Um, but it's hard. Um, it's, you know, at, this is a thing I think about a lot is like the difference between a generative art and a um, interpretive mm-hmm, art. Mm-hmm. And writing is a generative art and acting is an interpretive art. Mm. Um and it's hard to do an interpretive art without someone doing the generating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So yeah. I like that a lot. I can tell I'm gonna go sticking those designations on all sorts of <laughs> other. <laughs> well, I I went through a period where I was feeling really weird about myself as a creative person mm-hmm. because um, I felt like being an actor being an actor wasn't as creative. Like they always tell actors like. Um, you know, make your own work, um, to get yourself out there, which I have lots of opinions about, (laughs) but, um, I, I don't really think I'm the right person who should be making my own work. And that made me feel less creative, Hmm. which, um, was a shitty way to feel. And when I like landed on this distinction between generative art and interpretive art, that made me feel like, Oh no, I can still be creative. It's just a different, a different, avenue right and then you know in a micro level of course it is generative because you were the only thing that's creating a thing happening in that moment yeah you're well but like a book with words and notes in it is nothing that can really be experienced by most people right but but you need but i can't do what i do until that book exists Mm -hmm. yeah so guys we need each other <laughs> <laughs> yes well i love actors so much so i'm very grateful for you guys i know i always also hear a worship follow especially <laughs> the ones that you yeah like i well and it's also like i feel like writer uh writers can have day jobs way more easily than actors can That's have day too. jobs yeah. and yeah. i don't like i honestly don't know how i would have survived without my day job so I feel like I am most also hero worshipping of actors for that as well just having to <laughs> live in a li- live a life without a, without a day job I yeah, know you have to like fully commit to yourself yeah yeah I mean I know like you know there's you know you can be you know a waiter you know there's other there's a babysitter there's other ways to do it but um it's definitely not as steady it ne- you need to have a job that can be far more flexible. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I and those jobs are harder to get. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm definitely like actors. You are amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> just I don't know how I don't know how you do it. <laughs> Neither do we. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it happens.